Hi, everyone. It's VLGA Connect Governance Update time. I know it's the highlight of your week. I know it's the highlight of Steve Cooper's week because he turns up every week bright and early, ready to talk governance. Hi, Steve. Hi, Chris. If it wasn't my highlight, we'd be here in our dressing gowns, wouldn't we? <laughs> yes, indeed. Well, you could be forgiven. Lockdown five for Victoria, well, for Melbourne particularly, and this one's uh, more broadly across Victoria. We know how to do this now, don't we? Think we've had a bit of practice chris so let's go early go hard and knock this thing off i must say i did take uh, my uh, dog boots for his morning walk as is expected of me uh he reminds me first thing and uh the main road near where i live uh you could not tell it was locked down i just was thinking how oh. could all these people be essential workers i hope that's not a barometer of how seriously people are taking it i'm sure it's not steve we have lots to talk about this week we've got procurement issues we've got legal issues and we're not lawyers can i say that um we've got planning and heritage issues and we're and not heritage planners either Chris. <laughs> no and and we've got ceo uh, movement issues and um, i'm not a ceo there's a lot that we're I not know, i don't know why people are listening we're not anything <laughs> no but we're not shy of an opinion or two uh, so let's let's talk about firstly the procurement issue i know this caught your eye uh, a bit of uh, you know public chatter, Facebook forums and the likes about a procurement issue being dealt with down in South Gippsland. And it really, you, you sent this to me during the week and it just really brought home to me again, the lack of understanding people have about decision-making processes in local government. I thought it was an interesting one, Chris. And by way of disclosure, of course, you and I both know uh, the administrators and executive at South Gippsland. So we put that on the table, but big storm, a few weeks ago, obviously, and there was a landslip at Turtons Creek in beautiful South Gippsland. The council on its Facebook page announced that they would be holding, I think they call it an unscheduled meeting, but what we might generally call a special meeting um, yeah. to deal with the procurement matter. But, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was all going to be, con or there was going to be a vote that it'd be confidential because it was dealing with a procurement matter. I do notice, Steve, just on a side issue, that that use of the term unscheduled for meetings that aren't the ordinary meetings of the council has, has become a lot more common since the new governance rules requirements well, have come in. Yeah, some councils are still calling them special meetings. Some are calling them ad hoc meetings. It's whatever they decided to put in their governance rules, um, but a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, I suppose, Chris. Indeed. So yeah. what's the issue here? People um, just believing that any matter that a council decides on should be dealt with in an open meeting? I think a bit more, a bit more subtle than that, Chris. That, um, and look, there are, we understand that in whether it's South Gippsland, Whittlesea, Casey, previously in uh, Central Goldfields, there are a group of citizens who aren't happy about the fact that there's administrators and would prefer an elected council. And so, as you touched on earlier, there was a bit of social media banter that uh, how can there be transparency when, um, when the administrators are dealing with what would appear to be a procurement matter and the detail wasn't known before the meeting um, confidentially. Um, but of course, the, the conversation that you and I had was that even if there were an elected council, they would need to deal with such a matter confidentially because it involves um, the business model and business information of the tenderers. 
it would have to be dealt with confidentially. Otherwise, um, a breach of, confi- of that sort of confidentiality is a misconduct under the Local Government Act. Couple of ways that councils deal with this too, Steve. I noticed there's, um, you know, some would put a covering report into a, an open public meeting and just protect for, for reasons of the confidentiality, the sensitive information in attachments that that only the decision makers get to see. Is is that a reasonable process? Do you think? Oh, look, how would I describe this, Chris? It's not unreasonable, and I think a lot of councils have reacted to reporting by the ombudsman about transparency. And the quite reasonable um, premise that wherever possible, uh, business should be conducted in an open council meeting. But it sort of goes back to our point about league tables, that sometimes a league table of this nature might have an unfortunate consequence. Um, The concern I would have, though, is that if you're going to take that path, providing all of the information to the councillors in a briefing, taking back the confidential papers and then putting a summary report in the open council meeting. There is always a risk, of course, that um, the decision will effectively be made in briefing. So in that sense, at South Gippsland, as a number of other councils do from time to time, um, just declaring the matter confidential and taking it to a council meeting and then closing the meeting, actually there's an element of integrity and weirdly, a transparency in that the transparency is that we know the matter's been dealt with confidentially. <laughs> yeah, I think I followed that. Yeah, that, that makes that makes some sense. Um, yeah, you need to be really careful that those briefing sessions don't become de facto decision-making forums. I think everybody gets that now. Yeah. Um, and this, this public transparency principle is one of the key underpinning principles of the new Local Government Act. So I can understand why people observing that, hearing that you know, we've got this new principles-based legislation in place, and then still see decisions being made in confidence can be confused about what is an apparent conflict. Oh, absolutely. And sometimes it might be necessary, even if, you know, if councillors hold off their decision making until this matter takes its makes its way to an open or to an open council meeting might need to close the meeting to discuss confidential elements of the discussion in the council's coming to a decision, if Mm. that makes sense. All right. Well, that's an interesting one. Thanks for bringing that to our attention. Uh, Here's one that caught my eye this week, Steve. It's a a pretty simple statement that's come out of Knox City Council, uh, who, by the way, are due to announce a new CEO any minute. It's imminent, as we would say, in governance update land because they held a special meeting this week uh, to consider that appointment. Um, so there is a, uh, a, a statement on the website uh, responding to recent media reports that have alleged that the council suppressed evidence in a serious food safety matter. They're making it really clear that they've met all their obligations, they've provided the information um, as appropriate to the appropriate parties and forums. You haven't been sluggish in bringing this matter to uh, the government's update, Chris. Uh, no, no, I've been pretty quick, but this does relate to the, the story we've talked about before, which is known as now, uh, look beyond the slug. Um, <laughs> as I recall, Chris, the statement from the Knox City Council was that there's no information that's been suppressed, that there is a legal matter on foot, that right. certain information held by the council has been subpoenaed, and that all of that information has been provided to both parties through the matter. An interesting piece in this is pointing out that, you know, there are different uh, forms of legislation or pieces of legislation. And in this case, uh, the freedom of information is going to be subservient to 
the powers that are being exercised under the Food Act. Yeah, that's true. And I don't, yeah, I can't really add to that. Freedom of information provides certain information, uh, that certain information can be released, but there are a series of exemptions which might be, which might not be exemptions uh, were the information to be subpoenaed as part of a legal matter. I think, is that, if that's what you're saying. Yeah, and I think for clarity, I should just read the last sentence of the statement. Whilst this limits what counsel could release under a public FOI request, no such limit applies to the courts. The same information was requested by subpoena and was provided in full to the courts. Yeah, and so it's an information management topic, isn't it, Chris, of being really clear what can be said publicly, uh, what can be released under FOI, what might um, be released under subpoena, and you might get three different answers. Um, we should have repeated uh, at the outset of this particular discussion that we're not lawyers, but uh, we can, I think we can understand what's happening here. Now, Chris, there's a couple of messages in that for me. One is obviously that um, we and every council um, has great caution in how information is released when there is a legal matter on foot, and that's for a very sound reason. Um, the other part, and I don't know if people kind of are aware of this, but speaking generally, there is a regime of um, food safety inspection that occurs in Victoria. And if you think about even fairs and markets where you might have mobile food vans, each of those vans will be domiciled in a particular municipality, but might operate outside of that municipality. So the fundamental food safety issue will take place in the area where the business is registered. From time to time, there might be inspections by another agency. In this particular case, um, an entity um, is based in one council and that is the primary inspection agency, but where the food is delivered, for example, to a hospital or an aged person's home, the local council will also have a role in terms of where that food is delivered and consumed. So it can be a bit complex. Well, full marks to Knox for making that clarification. They've obviously received quite a bit of feedback from those uh, uh, media reports that I would, in my words, describe as being uh, unhelpful in the, uh, the overall scheme of things. Yeah, a well-crafted response, I thought, Chris. Steve, I know you're uh, really itching to get to this one. We're going to go down to uh, Tasmania now and the, the lovely little, uh, I want to call it a village, I'm sure it's a bit bigger than that now, of Richmond Heritage Area in Clarence Council, where there's been a, a reasonably long-running saga over a sign at a local museum. You up to date with this one? I I'm up to date with that, Chris, and, and uh, listeners will know that Richmond is famous for that beautiful bridge um, that I think goes over the Clarence River, but the, in fact, well-named Richmond Bridge. Um, now, this story gives us... And the, the well-named Clarence River. <laughs> <laughs> this story gives us the opportunity to use the word scatological, and I had to go rushing for the dictionary, Chris, and if you can just bear with me. There's, a, there's a, um, an entity in, in, uh, in the village of Richmond known as the Puseum, which is, um, according to its website, one of the best things to do in Richmond, Tasmania, education about defecation, science in all its scatological splendour. <laughs> I hope that diversion was worth it. Now, Chris, the thing I had to really rush for before we get to the heritage planning issue was to go to the yes. dictionary and to check the definition of scatological. Yes, please do that for us. <laughs> well, there's two. And one is a quite serious, it, there is a science of the faecal matter of animals. And that is to be taken quite seriously. And that is a very serious definition. Yes. Scatological is also a form of schoolyard humour that might be defined as 
toilet jokes or poo jokes, right. Chris, and we're not going to we are not going to fall into that um, category. This is a serious town planning discussion. So, Steve, are you telling me that when you hear the word scat used as a synonym for feces, uh, whatever else, <laughs> I don't want to say the other word, uh, that that's actually a scientific reference? It's a word. Scat yeah. is a word. It could also be a pub, well-known pub cover band from about 25 or 30 years ago, but that would be showing our age, Chris. Indeed. Right. Um, okay, let's get back to the matter at hand here, and that's the sign. The sign. So there was the a sign... sign erected a, a few years back, I think about three, four years ago, uh, out the front of the Puseum. Uh, it depicts a, uh, a, a bird, I think, um, a penguin. Thank you. Uh, it's a bird, I think, of sorts. Um, in the midst of a bowel movement is how I can put it uh, on that sign. And they did not have planning permission to erect that sign. No, they didn't. And Let's be very clear that Richmond is a village that is subject of heritage controls made by the council. And this will resonate for a lot of the people that might weirdly be interested in what we talk about, because there's a lot of councils that, for very sound reason, to preserve heritage character, implement heritage controls in their planning scheme or have a heritage overlay, for example. Um, and often people are really you know, local residents and businesses are fans of heritage control where that can protect the neighbourhood character. Um, at times, those heritage controls will protect an area from overdevelopment, for example, or, or any development, um, which is terrific. But then, of course, there is a flip side to heritage controls is that you've got to take it seriously and that, you know, those who are affected will know that use of heritage paints um, ensuring that any any accoutrements like gates and front doors need to meet the heritage controls. And, well, if you want to put an air conditioner on your roof, bad luck. Mm. So they are a bit tense. So that's kind of the backstory, I suppose, Chris. Then we're at the point that this um, sign for the Puseum didn't have a permit and as a consequence of not having a permit, I recall was removed. Is that right? Uh, I'm not. Yes. Yes. I think that is right. Yes. It's back up now, but yeah, yeah. I think it did come down. Mm. Yeah. And it's back up because, um, and I think there's a really important um, thing to mention in terms of planning law generally, and I presume it's similar in Tasmania as Victoria, is that people sometimes um, overestimate the, the power of enforcement capability under the Planning and Environment Act, for example, in Victoria, in the sense that one way of stopping of an, an owner or occupier stopping enforcement action by a council is to make a new application because you can't continue to enforce while an application's on foot. Uh, the operators of the Puseum uh, made an application to the council and the council made a decision uh, to grant a permit for the sign. So it's back. Yes, so I, I'm not sure the alderman, as it is in this case at Clarence Council, really had much choice here. They had a petition with 1,600 people. There was quite a, uh, an uprising of support in the community for this. Um, I guess the, the question is, uh, you know, what happens next in terms of this precedent that's being set to let the heritage uh, principle lapse a little bit, I guess. Um, I thought I saw in the reports, Chris, there was some reference to COVID and tourism, which um, sound laudable, but I'm not sure would carry weight in similar applications um, elsewhere. 
All right. So check that one out. We'll pop the link in the uh, show notes that's uh, just been playing out in, and, uh, in Tassie this week. And we should say, Chris, that if one were to go to Tassie, it sounds like the Poussin would be just a terrific and quite interesting place to go to. Uh, yes. Yes, uh, I can I can support that. A scatological place to go. Absolutely, to. because bears do. Anyway, let's leave it there. <laughs> All right. Um, before we wrap up, a little bit of news from uh, CEO land. We want to congratulate uh, Warren Roberts. Fine man, fine man, Hawthorne supporter. That's all I need to know. Uh, but uh, no, quite seriously, Warren has come out of retirement to lead Brimbank Council during the interim period with the retirement this week of Helen Morrissey and uh, the process underway to recruit a new CEO on an ongoing basis. So well done, Warren. Welcome yeah, back. Kristen, I can claim Warren as a former colleague of many years ago. And apart from his um, football allegiances, I'd agree with the fine man part of things. So <laughs> good luck to Warren. Indeed. And look, we're keeping an eye on, a, on CEO movements on a number of fronts. As we said earlier, Knox is due to announce uh, any day. Uh, the process is underway to find a new CEO in uh, Kingston, uh, Brimbank, and Maribyrnong, so never a dull moment in in Victorian Council CEO land. Um, we'll keep I'll keep waiting with bated breath on your updates, Chris. Some good stuff there, Steve. Thank you. Not sure what you'll come up with for next week, but I'm really looking forward to it. I'm not sure either, Chris, but that's it's a nice start. Thanks. Cheers. <laughs> Steve Cooper, Chief of Staff at the VLGA. That's the governance update for another week. Thanks for your company. We'll see you again very soon on VLGA Connect. 